0: Our text this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 31. Uh, This is, as we shall see, the end of Job's speeches, particularly to his friends, and then his appeal unto God. It's not the last of his words that he'll speak unto the Lord, but this is the last of of his case uh, that he brings before. Uh, And chapter 29, uh, he had uh, given... Uh, his uh, former life the the blessings that he had known uh, that then in verse thirty uh, chapter thirty he had uh missed that he how those fortunes had changed for him, and now he makes uh, his appeal unto the lord he is still making a, in a certain sense an appeal unto his brethren that account uh, that uh, that charged him with hypocrisy, uh, He is standing fast to his integrity, uh, that the Lord might hear him and that the Lord might answer him. So as we uh, consider I mean just we, let's, uh, let us consider these words, but as before we do so, let's um, go to the Lord in prayer that He would give us the same spirit, uh, that we might take these words to heart. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you now. Uh, to ask that you would give us of your Holy Spirit. He gave these words uh, to the prophet of old, that we might be infallibly instructed by them and infallibly led to, uh, to endure trials and misery, uh, that we might, in all our circumstances, appeal to you and persevere in that hope that you ha- have given us. We ask, dear Lord, that this morning as your word is read and as it is preached, that we would have your same spirit in our hearts, that we might receive it as your word, an instruction to us this morning, that we might know that, uh, that you love us and have fortified us for every trial, and that we might be corrected and reproved by these words and fortified in our Savior Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the book of Job, chapter 31. I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above, and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is destruction not to the wicked, and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked in vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance, that God may know my integrity. If my step hath turned out of the way, and my heart walked after my eyes, and if any blot hath cleaved to my hands, then let me sow, and let another eat, yea, let my offspring be rooted, rooted out. If my heart hath been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid weight at my neighbor's door, Then let my wife grind unto another, and let others bow down upon her. For this is a heinous crime, yea, it is an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For it is a fire that consumeth to destruction, and would root out all my increase. If I did despise the calls of my manservant, or of my maidservant, when they contended with me, what then shall I do when God riseth up? And when he visiteth, what shall I answer him? Did not he that made me in the womb make him and did not one fashion us in the womb? If I have withheld the poor from their desire, or have caused the eye of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel myself alone, and the fatherless hath not eaten thereof, for from my youth he was brought up with me, as with a father, and I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing, or any poor without covering, If his loins have not blessed me, and if he were not mourned with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder blade, and my arm be broken from the bone. For destruction from God was a terror to me, and by reason of his highness I could not endure. If I have made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence." If I rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gotten much, if I beheld the sun when it shone or the moon walking in brightness and my heart had been secretly enticed or my mouth had kissed my hand, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. If I rejoiced at the destruction of him that hated me or lifted up myself when evil found him, Neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to a soul. If the men of my tabernacle said not, "Oh, that we had of his flesh," we cannot be satisfied. The stranger did not lodge in the secret, in the street, but I opened my doors to the traveller. If I covered my transgression as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom? Did I fear a great multitude, or did the contempt of families terrify me that I kept silence and went not out of the door? Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book. Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as the crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps. As a prince, I would go near unto him. My land cry against me, or the furrows likewise thereof complain, if I have eaten the fruits thereof without money, or have caused the owners thereof to lose their life. Let thistles grow instead of wheat, and cockle instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. And his people said, Amen. We have here, mostly in rhetorical questions, uh, not all, but mostly so, Job is fortifying his prayer. Uh, He is fortifying his patience, his endurance, in the midst of affliction by recalling to himself his integrity. It is his integrity that has given him that hope to persevere in the midst of his sufferings, to hold on to the hope that God would vindicate him. Hopefully, I mean, his heart's desire was in this life, though his hope failed in that and he... uh, And he figured that it would be in his death. Nevertheless, he was concerned by the name that he would leave behind. He was concerned by uh, the fact that his friends had considered that his sufferings were evidence of his iniquity instead of looking at the evidence of his holiness and integrity and therefore condoling with him and comforting him and pointing him not to repent of sins that he had not committed but helping him to endure the trial looking for the good that should come of it. Of course, those things were uh, flashes of hope and inspiration in his previous speeches. Here he has given himself only to to closing out his prayer unto God with his case uh, that he was suffering, though he himself did not cause suffering. That he was afflicted, though he afflicted no one. That that he is clearing himself of all the charges that have been laid against him. And we can quickly go through this. First, he, he clears himself of wantonness in the first four verses. He made a covenant with his eyes that he would not think upon a maid. We see here, by the way, uh, that even one of the earliest of... of of the, the, the persons of biblical history, has very much that same doctrine of fornication that Jesus teaches in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says, You have heard of it said of old time in Matthew 5, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that anyone who looks with lust upon a woman has committed adultery to her in his heart. And this is not a New uh, Testament doctrine. This is not something unique to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was merely given the standard of holiness that God and the Word of God had from the very beginning. That holiness of the heart is the true holiness that gives the, the, true, uh, that gives the, the verity, the actuality in the hands. That whatever one may do... If the holiness is not there in the heart and the mind, it may have the appearance of godliness, but it has none of the power of it. Job understands that, uh, that this is a case. And Job gives himself in, in two places. In, in verses 9 through 12, he talks about adultery, that he had not even done that. And certainly after he said that he's guarded his heart against all wantonness... Uh, it couldn't be that he would give himself to adultery. In the midst of that, he has, in verses 5 through 8, defrauding a neighbor, which could be included of that whole thing with the, the sexual morality. Uh, but, but because of the imagery, the scales, and the balance, it has to do with his wealth. His wealth was not ill-gotten. Uh, we do see the, uh, a principle here, though, by the way. Uh, those that are in power very rarely are committing one type of sin. I'm not saying all people in power commit sin. Job was a man of integrity in great power and in great authority in the world. And he was a holy man. But those that get their power through corruption are people that are corrupt. And they won't be corrupt just in their political corruption or in their legal corruption or their social corruption. They'll be corrupt also in their private life, in their chastity, in their um, uh, in their dealings with their wives, are their family members, and certainly you and I could just—I mean—think of political scandals. How often does political corruption go hand in hand with adultery? They are twin problems. If Job's friends were correct in their diagnoses of him as a hypocrite and an oppressor and a tyrant whose appearances of holiness were just a big sham, then it would also be true that he was a dog to his wife and a womanizer or a a pervert or whatever. Because those things go together. And clearing of himself of one, he clears himself of both. He also, in verses 13 through 15, says that he has not oppressed his servants. that Those are his own household. Those that were near unto him. We might think employees today, but they were usually closer than employees. This is, the again, an agrarian culture, a herding agrarian culture, uh, more so. And uh, the while the, the exact ways that holiness and righteousness, integrity works itself out are different, uh, many of... The, the heart conditions are the same. He was not haughty and oppressive, and he didn't stand upon the hierarchy of his household. But that he gave due consideration to the causes of his men servants and his maid servants, out of fear of God. Because when it came to that heavenly hierarchy, he and his servants were on the same level. Verses fourteen and fifteen would. When God arises, I'm not going to be equal with Him. I am a servant like my servants are, and we come out of the same sort of womb, not that they were brothers and sisters, but he's speaking of the brotherhood of mankind, the, the unity of our race in Jesus as, as creatures and image bearers of God. But not only with his own household, because many are, uh, are, are quite kind and gentle with their own, but then are apathetic and cruel to those that are not theirs. In 16 to 23, he notes that he didn't oppress the poor. He's not withheld from their, the poor from their desire. He's not called the eye, caused the eye of the widow to fail. These were helpless people in his day and age. Uh, he's not eaten alone, but have fed the fatherless. Uh, he considered himself to be one brought up with all of them that this, uh, Job's parents had raised him with compassion for those that did not have advantages that he had, and he viewed his advantages as a stewardship in order to bless. As Paul tells the Ephesians, you who stole, don't steal anymore, but work hard that you might have something to be generous with. You've taken unlawfully, now endeavor and work so that you might be generous and give. Well, this is something that Job had from his youth. Uh, Those, he didn't let uh, any perish for lack of clothing, but his wool was given in such a way that he clothed all. Uh, Verse 20, uh, 21, he didn't lift his hand up against the orphan when he saw his compatriots uh, in the gate. You know, he acted one way in one sort, but if he had his people behind him, he acted a different way. That wasn't Job's way. Job wasn't harsh in any way. Uh, and and he, and he imprecates, like he does in several places. If I've defrauded, let my wealth be defrauded. If I have been an adulterer, let me be if, uh, if If I have been a terror to the poor... May God be a terror to me. Uh, he didn't, and uh, this is kind of put as an afterthought, but this was important to him. In verse 38 through 40, we have, he was an oppressor to his tenants. Those that worked his land, those that were, we might think of them as sharecroppers or farmers that rented from him or in a different day and age, serfs or those that, uh, that worked his land. Uh, he didn't take too much of it. Uh, he, he was a good uh, landlord, if you will. And his tenants blessed him. And uh, so he was cleared of, of oppression. He didn't let his wealth become an idol. And verses 24 through uh, 24, 25, 26, um, 27, and 28, he has first... His gold and his prosperity was not his confidence. He didn't rejoice because he got much. He recognized that this was a blessing from the Lord and that he was a steward of it. And he goes on from there in 26 and 27 talking about uh, going from the beauties of his wealth, looking up into the world around him and seeing the idolatry, kissing his hand like that, which was something that pagans did. If you couldn't touch and kiss the idol, you could... Blowing kisses actually started out as an idolatrous thing, didn't you know? Um, they they're intimately together though. If you there is a there is a similarity of heart when you are trusting to your financial well-being, when you're trusting to your retirement fund when you're trusting trusting to your pension or trusting to your salary or trusting to whatever entitlement you may have that that will be your safety that that will be your well-being that your strength or your skill will get you work in the world if that is where your hope is that is not all that different from trusting some other idol or god that is not the true god because what it does is make an idol of the things. And so Job unites these two ideas together. And he was not guilty of that. He didn't worship the gods or the powers of the world by idolatry. He didn't bow down to Baal, who was the god of the sun. He didn't bow down to Ishtar, the goddess of the moon, to make sure that his crops would uh, flourish. And he didn't bow down to his crops and his gold and his wealth as his safety. He looked to God. And just socially. He, did, he wasn't a vengeful man, verses 29 to 30. He didn't delight in the destruction of his enemies. And he didn't give himself to curse. Even when his own people, his men of his own tent, uh, were itching like many in the Middle East to, 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 to have eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, to get the blood fuel, feud going. No, Job was a man of peace. Who might have enemies, but he would act in a way of integrity to them. In thirty-five, excuse me, verse thirty-three, we see uh, that, and this speaks to his lack of hypocrisy. But he wasn't haughty and self-righteous. If he sinned, he didn't hide it. As Adam in the garden tried to hide his sin, our men commonly do try to hide his sin. He was a man of integrity, but part of his integrity was owning his sins and recognizing them. And because of this, verse 34, he was a man that lacked cowardice. He could go into the streets. He didn't need a bodyguard. He didn't lock the door of his house. He didn't lock the door of his car. He didn't have a car, obviously, but he... If he had one, there would have been no lock upon it. There were no guard dogs set to keep strangers out of his yard. He didn't need that because he was holy, righteous, and everybody recognized it. And therefore, everybody recognized that if Job is doing good, we are doing good. And if some stranger came that didn't know Job, you know who his best offenders were? Were his neighbors. You might mess with some of us, but you're not going to mess with Job. That's what he, I mean, this is basically what he says at the end of chapter 29. This is just a a rehash of it in a different way. He's rehashing it as proof of his integrity here. He says, Unto me men gave ear in verse 21 and waited and kept silence at my counsel. No one would speak after I spoke. And they waited for me as the rain and as for the latter rain. If I laughed at them, they didn't believe that I would do such a thing. And the light of my countenance they would not cast down. I chose their way and set chief. I dwelt among them as a king in the army as one that comforts mourners. He had a natural authority before them. That's what his integrity got him. His integrity got him a a bit of uh, maybe not bravery exactly, but certainly he had no cause for cowardice to shrink back. This was... This was a description of the integrity of Job. It's a description that I hope that each one of us would like to have been about us as well. I know that we all fall short, but remember Job falls short too. The fact that we fall short doesn't mess up that that standing we have in God's grace as long as we are like Job, not covering our transgressions as Adam by hiding iniquity in our bosom but making confession unto the Lord. Before we move on, though, from the description of his integrity, let's note the reasons which fortified his holiness. Because they will be the reasons that will encourage you and I, if we we have integrity to maintain it, if we don't have integrity to seek it out, that we would be holy. And the first one is the fear of the Lord. Uh, The reason why he was so careful was because to not be careful would to set himself against God. He believed the Lord. He recognized that the Lord sits and judges in heaven, that the Lord knows his footsteps. And because he believed that, it, and he didn't just say he believed that, because he truly believed that, he was careful with everything he did because of the, the questions that would arise from it. Verse 2 to 4. What portion is there, from a, is, is there with God from above? What inheritance to the Almighty on high? Destruction is to the wicked, and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity. I don't want to fall into that group. Verse 4. He sees my ways. He counts my steps. I'm not going to hide, be able to hide from Him. So He has the portion that the Lord has for the righteous in His mind, he has also the portion that God has for the wicked in his mind. And he remembers that there's no way of hiding his state before the Lord, and therefore he's going to seek to be uh, uh, worthy of that, that peace. Verse 23, destruction from God was a terror to me. And by reason of his highness, I could not endure he had a real fear of the Lord. Uh, 28b. Um, if he had given himself to trust in his wealth, he would deny that one who is his hope, the Lord. And if he had denied the Lord in his integrity, where would he be in his affliction If he had denied the Lord and his integrity, where would be the strength that he would have when his friends put upon him false crimes and false sins and tried to make him miserable and curse God and had he listened to them? There would not be the book of Job. Because Job himself would have been consumed and undone unless the Lord intervened. But he certainly wouldn't have been a lesson for us with patience. But also, he thought not just to the Lord, although that was the motivating in the first. He thought also to his brethren, to his neighbor. Iniquity also doesn't just set us against God, it sets us against our neighbor. This is the opposite of the, what the law of God does. The law of God sets us at peace with, or tries to direct us to peace with God and peace to our neighbor. To love God and to love our neighbor is how Jesus uh, summarizes the, the law. Paul says to love your neighbor is the sum of the law because it includes the love of God. Well, if that's the case, then when you are set against God, you're also set against your neighbor. Now, in the disorderedness and confusion of iniquity and sin and rebellion, the world actually tells a different story. The devil would have you believe that your devotions to the Lord is is a futile thing, that you ought to be concerned about your neighbor, but he will put that concern about the neighbor in categories that aren't holy or righteous, but have to do with uh, debauchery and oppression, and, and control of your neighbor. He switches, he uses moral concepts. What do we have now in our culture at large? We have a, a moral regime that is very immoral, but it has a morality that is preaching. It has a morality. It has an idea that there are things that make you right and there's a things that make you wrong. And if you're wrong, you ought to be ostracized. But the things that make you right aren't a direction to God. If you let your devotion to God actually affect the way that you are behaving with people, the world will tell you that you're a hater, that you're a terrorist. This week, the White House has labeled potential terrorists, those who are committed to their religious organization. It's real. We're here now. Beginnings of it, but it's here. That's what the world says. But Job doesn't say that. Job recognizes the reality. That, that iniquity is what sets him against his neighbor. If adultery, verse 11, is a heinous crime, and it is an iniquity to be punished by the judges, it's interesting, Job calls out two sins that ought to be punished by judges because they affect not just the private person and his devotion to God, because they affect the whole society. You know what two sins they are? They're two sins that were the first to go in modern society. The sin of adultery, we have no-fault divorce, and the sin of idolatry, and all blasphemy laws gone. There's a difference between not establishing a religion, as our Constitution did not do, and allowing infidelity to dictate to the culture around us. There's a time when atheists couldn't take vows because who is to keep an atheist vow? A vow is done because there's nobody that can guarantee that word save God Himself. Job recognizes that, uh, that this verse twenty eight A, that's that's the other one that references idolatry to be punished by the judge. And isn't. Uh, in of course, setting himself against God and his neighbor also would be a sin to himself. In verse 12, he recognizes adultery wasn't just setting himself against God, it wasn't just setting himself against his neighbor, uh, particularly uh, the, the, the woman and the husband that he was committing adultery with, but would also consume him. That his sin would come back upon his own self as well. Notice how the fear of God unites us together in verses 14 and 15. What then shall I do when God rises up? And when he visits, what shall I answer him? Did not he that made me in the womb make himself and did not one fashion us in the womb? In Psalm 16, verses 2 and 3, David says, My goodness extends not unto you, O Lord, but to the excellent that are in the world, or in the land, who is, in whom is all my delight. I can't do good to you, Father. I cannot improve your situation. No holiness that you do improves God's situation. But your righteousness can improve the lives of those that God loves. To the saints that are in the land. And that is why. There is an intimate connection. Between our love of God and love of neighbor. Because we love God. To love you have to do good for the one you love. But we can't improve God's situation. We can't do him good. So we love his people. And everyone to a certain extent. Bears the image of God. And therefore Jesus tells us. You ought to love your enemy as yourself. And even Job Reflects that when he says that he didn't give himself to destruction and didn't utter a curse against his enemy, verses 29 and 30, and did not join in with those uh, that would call for their destruction. So when you cultivate holiness, and you should cultivate holiness, we ought to remember the reasons why we're doing it, a fear of God and a love for our neighbor, Now there are some considerations before we leave it completely. First, there is a warning. That that one might be as full of integrity as Job himself, or might even have greater integrity than Job. But there is no swagger before God. Now Job was humble. Job recognized that his righteousness came from the Lord. But that doesn't mean that he spoke perfectly. In verses 35 through 37, Oh, that one would hear me, behold, hold my desire is that the Almighty would answer me, and that the adversary had written a book, and surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps, as a prince would I go near to him. Now, there's nothing wrong in verse 35, that God would hear him, and that even that his adversary would print it out his accusation, and that he would have nothing to be ashamed of. But there is a certain sense in which Job runs from that into a a little bit excess. That he would take his accusation as as a certain crown and trophy. And that he would walk as a prince before his accuser. Is a bit high and a bit mighty. and, And Elihu will come and rebuke him. But more importantly, even the Lord himself will rebuke him. Chapter 40, verse 2, Shall he that contends with the Almighty instruct him, shall he that reproves God, he that reproves God let him answer it. So there is a certain uh, humbling that Job has to go through, and it's instructive for us to see that we can let our integrity get away from us, and that it is a snare to us when we stop entrusting to the Lord who gave us that integrity and start entrusting the integrity itself. It is of the same nature... As, as what we have in the verses previous, when he stops trusting the, the God who gave the gold and started trusting it himself, he would have committed idolatry. And so even your integrity is a gift received from God and one that should be cultivated, but we have to be careful with it. Because holiness is what you are duty-bound to be. As Peter told us, be holy even as I am holy, quoting Leviticus, that God's grace to us is given that we might be holy. Jesus even is better in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. Which one of you, having a servant, plowing or uh, feeding cattle, will say to him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down at meat, and will not rather say to him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me? Till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt also drink. Doth he thank the servant because he did the things that were commended of him? I think not. So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commended, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Remembering that, that holiness is the goal. It's not the way. because, And that holiness given to us is a gift. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he made us accepted in the beloved that is Jesus Christ that free grace is designed to make us holy, it's not how we achieve it. So there is a warning here, but and let us hear that warning, but recognize also that the cultivation of holiness, the cultivation of integrity of conscience, is something, is a discipline that you and I need to persevere. If hard times come... It will fortify you to cling more to the Lord if you are clinging to Him in the good times. If you, were, if you were flippant and careless in your devotion to the Lord, you will be like that seed that falls on the shallow ground. It quickly rises up for joy of the word that is heard. And when the sun beats down upon it, it will wither and die and bear no fruit. And bearing no fruit means that it does not survive, it does not repent, it does not trust the Lord. The fruit are not just spreading the gospel, but living the gospel. It will die because it wasn't planted in Christ. It had a careless relationship to Him. And it will wither and die. Once grace is planted in the soul, it will not be taken out. God is faithful to uh, finish what he has begun. But there are many who never begin. They have a form of it. And it's not, but it's not living. It's not the power of godliness. And it will wither and it will die. Job recognized that. And Job says, I mean, the very first phrase in our passage, I made a covenant with my eyes. He was intentional in cultivating integrity. If you're not intentional in cultivating holiness, you will not cultivate holiness. We are human beings. We are human beings that are fallen from original righteousness. Righteousness is not natural to us anymore like it is to the angels. Like it was to Adam and Eve. It's something that, that we have to struggle with. And therefore we need to remind ourselves. We need to remind ourselves like Job does, like we've seen, uh, of the reasons for it. The, the blessings are also the dangers of not being holy. We need to remind ourselves of these things and we also need to reinforce them because we are human beings. We are not pure spirits. It's not enough for us to know the truth and just let it sit there on a shelf in our mind. This is why by the way we're not we, we're not like the Quakers that deny the usefulness of the water and the bread and the cup. God gave his people forms and signs and seals Of that grace. They're important for us. We have to have the sacraments. We have to taste and see that the Lord is good. And not just hear it. Faith comes by hearing. But the hearing that God gives us is reinforced. In many different ways. How often are the commandments given in the, the language of reminding and enforcement? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We have these things for us to remind us. In Hebrews 4, uh, the Lord's day, the Sabbath day is, is given to us. We're we are told that there still remains a Sabbath rest to the people of God in order that we might be reminded that there is a world to come that there's a new heavens and a new earth, that we are not yet where we will be, and therefore not set our heart in this present world. Make use of those things when we're married. Now, this is not a scriptural sacrament, but uh, it is a commitment. We have this ring on our fingers, you who are married, to remind yourself in a material way, it's not your wedding, it's not your marriage, It's a sign and token of it. It sits there to remind you, also as a warning to others. But isn't that warning to others also a help? It is. When we sign a contract, even if we're not signing a contract, what do we do? We shake hands on something that we agree. These are ways to subtly remind ourselves that we have obligations It's part of what being human is. And God created you that way and therefore you're to use these things in your holiness as well. To make a covenant. If there's a sin that you are struggling with, be intentional about it. You see these really weird life coaching things where you're told to wake up in the morning and, and look yourself in the mirror and say, I am special and I can do this and I can do that. Well... That's silly. But the act is it. To remind yourself, I am made by God, and I have an obligation to be holy even as He is holy. To say that out loud to yourself, to pray it to the Lord, will go a long way to fortify you against slipping that day. It's one reason why morning prayer is such an important thing that you start the day first with the Lord that you might not slip. It's one reason why evening prayer is important, that you go into the nighttime when things are secret and things are hidden, that you go into that time reminding yourself that you're in the presence of God. This is what it is to make a covenant with your eyes. Job felt that with his prosperity and nothing would be denied him, and in that society where having as many children as you could was important, that he would remind himself That he was chaste. And that he made his covenant that he would not look upon a maid. With himself. Not to mention with his wife, but with himself. And we ought to follow in that way as well. The integrity has its great work to weather the storm. Job is in the middle of the storm. Job is feeling the misery of it. But it is his integrity that is keeping him there. We ought... To cultivate it too for when the storm comes, and it will come. And we do this by by intentionality, by reminding ourselves of our duty, by reminding ourselves of the blessings and the dangers with God and with our neighbor. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask with the grace of Jesus Christ, because we know, dear Lord, that we fall short. And that oftentimes we are as Adam who would hide his sin from our neighbor. We ask that you would make us humble, that we might not shrink back from changing things that need to be changed, that we might not shrink back from committing ourselves to uh, further obedience that ought to be our commitment. But we know, dear Lord, that we cannot do this without your power and without your mercy and grace, and we ask that you would give us of your Holy Spirit that we might be holy even as you are holy. That we might know that cleansing that is given to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we might not be shaken by the accusations of the evil one and hard times to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.